Welcome to the Oil and Gas DEI Podcast, where we explore the energy industry through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Listen to top leaders from around the world share their experience and insights for building a more inclusive and diverse workforce. Now, here's your host, Kim Ali. Welcome back, everyone, to the DEI in Energy podcast. I'm your host, Kim Ali, DEI consultant, speaker, and travel addict. And today you will be blown away by our guests because we have the Honorable Maryland Senator Benjamin Brooks from the Legislative District 10, tongue twister, Baltimore County. But before we start, I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Diversity Atlas. Diversity Atlas is the world's first cultural diversity analytics platform offering a comprehensive and inclusive cultural diversity mapping tool that organizations can use to engage, celebrate, and transform their diverse teams to unlock the true power of diversity. So if you want to know how DEI can be used to measure and understand your workforce transformation, engagement, or even your ESG strategy, or to achieve economic and social growth, please reach out to Diversity Atlas and I will be sure to put their link in the show notes. All right, everyone. So let's dive right into it. So honestly, I can't believe this interview is happening because who gets a senator on their podcast, right? (laughs) But Senator Brooks and I met a couple of weeks ago at a Maryland Public Service Commission hearing. And he spoke about nuclear energy and other countries. And he also sits on the Education, Energy, and Environment Committee. So I didn't even know that type of committee existed. And so I thought, what better way to educate myself and the listeners by just having him on? So without further delay, Senator Brooks, if you could please introduce yourself to the listeners and share your background and how you landed in politics and clean energy. Sure. Well, good morning, everyone. And Kim, thanks for having me on. For the record, I'm Senator Ben Brooks. I represent the 10th Legislative District here in Baltimore County. I also would like to give a shout out to my delegates, yeah, which includes the Speaker of the House, Adrian Jones, and Scott Phillips, and then Jennifer White, you know, and we call ourselves the Unity Team. So, so yeah. Yeah, but I served in the House for two terms, which, which would be eight years. And ironically, my platform was, I called it Triple E. It was education, economics, and environment. I was fortunate enough to be elected to the Senate this time around. And the committee, which is a new committee that I'm on, is also Triple E, (laughs) education, energy, and environment. And all of them have tremendous significance with me, you know. And as we all know, the shortest distance from poverty through prosperity is through what? Education, you know, and that's a given. We don't have to research that. And as the energy component, while I was in the house, I chaired the public utilities subcommittee. Yeah. And, and knowing that how valuable energy policies are to ratepayers, you know, and that's when I started doing a deep dive into it, you know, and seeing what we can do to mitigate, you know, say rate heights and whatnot for the rate payers. Energy costs continually goes up. So we need to do whatever we can do to make sure 
that we're concerned for number one, and number two, making sure that those costs that are being passed on to the ratepayers are no more than what they should be. You know, here in Maryland, we have only one nuclear power plant, but we've got two reactors: Reactor One and Reactor Two. And Reactor One was supposed to decommission in 2018, and Reactor Two in 2019. Well, both of those reactors got 10-year extensions. And believe it or not, we get about 40% of our energy from those two reactors, 40%. So with this goal that Maryland has about net neutrality, we want to get there by 2045. And I'm saying to be a realistic, the only way we can do that if we're going to do that, then nuclear has got to be a part of that equation. And that's just real. And I know we, as a country, we haven't had a whole lot of love for that particular energy. Yeah. And reason being, of course, PMI, you know, Three Mile Island, and then Chernobyl, you know, and then Fukushima. Those were all man-made incidents, accidents that created. No, I'm sorry, two of them, the first two were. But the third one, that was a tsunami, you know, yeah. But I know for a fact that there's no other industry that's regulated to the extent that the nuclear energy is. I think in order for us to meet those goals, and right now we definitely need to reduce our CO2 emissions. And oftentimes we talk about clean energy and renewable energy. Well, nuclear is clean energy. There are no carbon emissions there. Yeah. And renewable energy, of course, you know, your solar, your wind, your geothermal, you know, those are part of that uh, renewable mix, you know. At this point, I think we need to come to the realization that we're going to need all hands on deck and we're going to have to utilize all energy sources until we can get to where we want to go, you know, because as favorable as I am toward renewables, currently they're just not baseloaded. Yeah. That's just being realistic, you know. Right now, the bulk of our energy is being generated by either coal, gas, you know, the fossil fuels, or nuclear. And the goal here again is to transition And when we're transitioning, that is a process. So I had the opportunity to go to Idaho Falls, Idaho last week, you know, and I got the chance to look at some of the emerging technologies. And I tell you, I was came back truly excited, you know, about what I'm seeing, you know, because this technology has advanced. And well, I think the industry needs to educate the citizens about what's going on, you know. I was able to see this new reactor that's being created by the Department of Energy. And it's called, they do have a whole bunch of acronyms. <laughs> this one is called a marble. That reactor is like a hundred kilobyte reactor, but it's sort of like self-contained, you know? It's almost, the idea is that it's going to almost be like plug and play. You know, once that reactor has gone through its useful life, which should be about 30 years, then they pull it out and put another one in, you know? 
And they're trying to move away from your huge stick-built reactors to what we call SMRs, which is small modular reactors. And from even from that down to what they call micro reactors. And that's what this marble is, you know. It could service a community, you know, completely. Whereas your SMRs could do, say, perhaps a town, you know. But that's where the technology is moving, you know, and the beauty there is that if you're doing micros, if you're surface, servicing a town, if something were to happen to one of the reactors, that's not going to shut you down completely. You know, you still can, it's more modular, you know. Mm. Well, thank you. Senator Brooks, I do want to go back to something that you hit on, and that is awareness. So there is a lot of fear and trepidation behind nuclear energy, especially because of Fukushima and Chernobyl. So I'm curious, in the state of Maryland, are there any initiatives to educate the community on what nuclear energy is, the fact that it is heavily regulated, and the benefits of it? Yes, that's where we come in. <laughs> and, and of course, the utility companies, you know, they do need to make people aware. And I'll tell you, the amount of waste, say, that I would generate if I were using nuclear from cradle to grave, the amount of waste that I would generate could fit inside of a Coke can. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And most people, they don't know that. You know, we oftentimes we see the, we look at the negatives of certain things, but we don't necessarily look at the positives. And I think there needs to be balance. Am I saying but plutonium is good? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, the uranium, of course not, you know. But once it's irradiated, yeah, it's a nasty stuff. But at the same time, actually, we can encase it. We can store it. We can store it safely. Back in December, I had an opportunity to go to France. And they generate more nuclear energy. That country generates more nuclear energy than any other country in the world. They get 74.4% of their energy from nuclear. Yeah. Yeah, they even take a spent fuel from other countries, like uranium, spent uranium, they encase it. They do make the plutonium rods from that as well, plutonium pellets, and they send them back to the country that sent it to them so they can dispose of it. And the plutonium, they use that for additional fuel. So I saw them taking that waste and encasing it, and then you can store it. Yeah. Now, is this technology that we'll use here in the States or in Maryland in the future, perhaps? Right now, I think because they are so good at it, we might be able to establish a relationship with them to do that. But what we do here is that waste material, it will be put in barrels and tanks and capsulized. And then I had an opportunity in 2019 to go to Carlsbad, New Mexico where we store medium, um, low, medium level radiation. And I went down about a mile in a salt oh, mine. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Took me 15 minutes to get to the bottom. Yeah. And what they do, they will encase that in barrels and what, and they store it in the salt mines. And what will happen, eventually that salt will continually come down, come down, come down, and eventually encase that. 
So there is no situation where there's going to be an earthquake there. There's no contact with water. So once it encases, then it will be stored there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, I find this so interesting. I come from a healthcare background, so just learning about energy is just fascinating to me. So I want to ask you the infamous question, right? You mentioned that we want to transition to clean energy in a responsible way. And so I've came up with this terminology. I don't know if it's been accepted yet, but I look at it as an energy integration, right? Because Fossil fuel is in everything. And so we don't want to disrupt our way of life by trying to transition. And so I'm curious, how do you envision renewable energy and fossil fuels coexisting in Maryland in the future? Yeah, we're going to have to coexist right now because as we try to improve, advance the grid, the solar and the wind, they're both non-dispatchable. You know, if the sun is not shining, you're not generating those electrons. If the wind is blowing slowly, you're still not generating enough electrons. So we do need a backup. And plus, with the amount that we are currently generating, it's not base load. You know, we won't have the capacity to generate the energy that we need. So for the near future, I know fossil fuels uh, or either nuclear is going to have to make up that shortfall. That's being a realist. Here again, I am pro-renewables. Yeah, but I'm a realist as well. And then there will be a transitioning. Here in Maryland, we had as many as six coal-fired plants for generation. We're down to four now, if my memory serves me correct. And then those are being phased out. What do we do to make up that shortfall, you know? Well, what I'm saying, that's where the SMRs can come into play, the small modular reactors. And the beauty there is that the infrastructure is already there. So all we need to do is to bring in those reactors and hook them up, you know, and you'll be generating jobs. And that's to address some of the concerns of our union friends And we will be generating energy to address ever-increasing demand for electrons, you know. So it it becomes win-win. So it's not that when we, we're transitioning. We're not giving up anything. We're just transitioning, you know. That will allow us to coexist for the time being while we transition without losing or not being able to generate what we need to keep the economy going and keep the lights on for everybody. Because as we all know, when we go and flip that switch, we want those lights to come on. Yes. And AC, especially in the summer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned something that's very critical and it's the perfect segue into my next question. You mentioned creating more jobs. So is there any initiative that has a diversity, equity, and inclusion component to it? So, for example, workforce development, creating jobs in the nuclear space for disadvantaged communities? Oh, yes, indeed. You know, and our governor, he's well in tune with that. You know, he knows that it's unfortunate right now, but certain communities, for the most part, has been left out, for the most part, of the solar space, you know. And the opportunity is there. 
we just got to make sure that those investment dollars are available to those individuals who want to get in that. One of the things he said when it comes to opportunity, he doesn't want to set goals, but he wants to see results. And he wants to have those uh, that set aside, if it's not 20, 30% set aside or 29% set aside, if those targets are not being met, then he wants to know why. Yeah. So we're going to make sure that not only the opportunity, but we're going to make sure that the funding that these uh, small companies need to get for startup is going to be available as well. Because oftentimes the people who are most impacted by the rate increases and whatnot, and then the ones who don't have the opportunity to participate in this market are the ones who sort of need it the most. Need it the most, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And so out of all of the initiatives that you have going on right now, what excites you the most? What are you looking forward to coming to fruition the most? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm truly, truly elated by what I saw with Marvel, because what it does is going to allow us as a community to be able to get energy from a reactor that can be transported, it's scalable. You know, you can bring it in from one site to another site. If you have a storm, you know, a hurricane or something where the infrastructure is damaged, then you can bring it in and hook it up to a microgrid and it can provide that power. So you don't have to be down for five days, 10 days or whatever. And especially in areas where Florida, where you have these monsters, hurricanes, they come and wipe out everything. That type of technology will lend itself to truly, truly reducing the amount of downtime for people in those situations, you know. So I think that's going to be a game changer. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I was excited about, and then I was able to introduce a bill this year, is community solar. Yeah. And the benefit of that is for those individuals whose home is not oriented properly to install solar panels, or they live in a townhouse or an apartment where that is not an option for them, well, they still can reduce their CO2 emissions by joining, becoming a subscriber to a solar farm. Yeah. And the bill that I introduced this year guarantees a 10% reduction from SOS, and that's the standard office service. Yeah. It also has a component that 40% of that the generation from that farm must go to LMIs, low to moderate income individuals. So we definitely do not want to leave them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Senator Brooks, can you explain what a solar farm is, just in case our listeners don't know what that is? Yes, yes. A solar farm, that's a farm where an investor would come and install solar panels and they can do up to two megawatts of power. Yeah. And they will go out and solicit subscribers and you become a subscriber. You join that farm and they will guarantee that your rates is going to be 10%. If you're LMI, a low to moderate income individual, your rate is going to be 10% less than what it would cost on SOS, standard office service. If your income exceeds that, still it's going to be, you're still going to be getting a, a lower rate because your electrons are coming from the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a way to mitigate costs. And here again, for those individuals who cannot, whose homes are not oriented so they could take advantage of the photovoltaic, they still could 
the users get their energy from a renewable source. Yeah. And the one for, let me throw this out too, for those individuals who have not, whose homes are orientated, I don't want them to forget to take advantage of the ITC, the investment tax credit. And that's a credit, actually, it was supposed to have sunset in 2022, but it has been extended for 10 years. Now, rather than getting the 30% investment tax credit, you're going to get to drop down to 26%. But what that means is that 26% of that project, whatever that project is, the cost of that project, you can reduce your tax liability by 26%. And now, if you live in Baltimore County, Baltimore County will give you a $5,000 credit towards your property taxes. Wow. Yeah. And the state, you get a state grant on that. And I think that has gone from one up to $2,000. Yeah. So a $20,000 project, you can, it would probably cost you only $8,000. And the payback for solar panels, in this situation, probably six, seven years. And then you're living electricity free from that point forward. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is not a bad deal. (laughs) Yes. And mind you, let me throw this out as well. Now, there are some companies that will say, wait, we'll give you the panels that will cost you nothing. But the key here is that the person who gets the investment tax credit is the person who owns the panels. So if you want to get that credit, you got to own the panels. Purchase so it's, in other it, yeah. words, if you're, if you're not in a position to purchase them, then I would suggest try to finance them. But you want to okay. get that investment tax credit. Okay. And Senator Brooks, offhand, do you know how many solar farms are in the state of Maryland? Ooh, I'm going to have to get back to you okay, with that. No, we're there quite a few. I think I know of probably one, two, three, four of them in my district. Yeah. So, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, I can get that information for you. Okay. That would be great. Thank you. All right. And so, I'm just curious, and I'm sure the listeners would love to know as well how can other energy professionals or citizens who are concerned and want to play a bigger role in clean energy, how can they get involved in these efforts? And at what capacity, you know, would their involvement look like? Okay. Yeah. They want to do that. They can establish a relationship, but call the PSC as a public service commission. There are some applications that they would have to complete. They need to establish a relationship with the energy provider in that area, you know, because they're going to have to get onto the grid, you know. So that would be the first thing to call the Public Service Commission, you know, and fill out that app and this tariff and all those fees that they would have to adhere to. But here again, that would be the first step, just to call the Public Service Commission. Yes. Okay. Okay. Awesome. All right. And so, Senator Brooks, how can the listeners get in contact with you? And do you have any engagements coming up that you want the listeners to know about? I sure do. I've got what we call our power hour. (laughs) (laughs) One of the concerns I've heard from some of my constituents is about the distribution costs on their utility bills, you know, and sometimes that distribution cost can be almost as high as the usage. So during my power hour, I'm going to have the PSC, that's the Public Service Commission. I'm going to have BGE there and the OPC, that's the Office of People's Council, and they represent the interests of ratepayers. I'm going to have all three of them there. 
and they are going to be able to, well, you will be able to ask them questions, especially BGE, and let them explain to you what all goes into that distribution cost. Now, from the surface, I know what it is. It's the cost of transmitting power and energy to you. Also, the cost of the infrastructure, you know, but perhaps maybe that's something we need to have them break out so you can see exactly what goes in into that pie. <laughs> yeah, so, but my power hour, that's going to be August. Hold on, let me look and see exactly when. I think it's August. And this is open to the public? It is open to the public. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. So if you are in the state of Maryland listeners, once we have the date, I encourage you to sign up for the Power Hour. That way you can meet representatives up close and personal and ask any questions you may have. Yeah. It's going to be Thursday, August 24th. Thursday, August 24th. From 5 to 7 p.m. And it's going to be at the Randallstown Community Center. And that's 3505 Resource Drive. And that's here in Randallstown, Randallstown, Maryland, 21133. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Will there be refreshments? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course. We'll have something there for you. (laughs) Okay, great. Okay, thank you so much. And so, Senator Brooks, we are wrapping it up. But before I let you go, is there anything you want to tell the listeners who are skeptical about nuclear energy? Yeah, I'd like for them to be open-minded and look and see, do some research and see how much we have benefited from this technology. When we look at the consequences that we are having with the seas rising, you know, the solar caps, you know, shrinking, you know, the storms seem like they are getting worse, you know, we got to do something to reduce the CO2 emissions, you know. And I think that we can do this with clean energy. Here again, we've got the clean energy and then we've got the renewable energy. Well, nuclear is clean energy and it can be safely stored. And there, here again, there's no other industry that's regulated to the extent that that industry is regulated. You know, And with this, all this emerging technology coming on board, where soon you'll be able to almost plug and play just look at the nuclear-powered uh, submarine or the nuclear-powered destroyers, you know. There was a time where that energy would only last, that reactor would only last two years. And then they had to pull it out and pull the ship out and put it in dry dock, fuel it up, which took two months. Now, with these new reactors, they put a reactor in there that will last longer than the ship. And that's 30 years, you know, one and done, you know. So, and the beauty is that that technology that's coming from the military is benefiting us, you know? I think as we evolve and as this technology emerges, it's safer, you know? The thing about radiation, it's bad when it's not encapsulated. But if it is encapsulated, then, you know, all of that stuff that's going on stays in stays encapsulated here again, and there's no likelihood that it's going to be able to impact us. So, And think about here again the amount of waste that you would generate from cradle to your demise. 
Yeah. Cocaine, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in yeah. a nutshell, the benefits outweigh the risk, essentially. Oh my yes. Yeah. Grossly. Grossly. Yeah. And I think we would be surprised. And I think most Marylanders did not know how much energy we get in this state from nuclear. And we've only got two reactors. Two. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And we could not survive, I think, at the level that we do without it. Without them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we had to ex- we extend it the life of those two reactors because our demand for energy continually, continually grows. Yeah, it's increasing. So I can't see that that reducing, but I think with these emerging technologies, it's going to provide even more benefits for us. And the other thing I can't say is that, especially with the micro reactors, I think it just opens up a whole new ball game for us because now we don't have to be tied to, I mean, we won't suffer from challenges to the grid because we can have your own, you can have microgrids to service those areas, you know, uh, those homes, you know, so it's just going to lend itself to us being, having a lot more, I guess one would say redundancy and the ability to function without with any something catastrophic were to happen, you know, we still could function and it would take a short amount of time to for us to get back online. Yeah. So mm. I think the future is going to be bright for us. Yes. Yes. I was just going to say, I'm looking forward to the future again. I find this so fascinating and just want to say I'm honored. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to the continued dialogue. And so listeners, that is all we have for you today. Please, Senator Brooks, are you on LinkedIn? I I will be. <laughs> yeah, but let me give the listeners my number and they can call my office. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They can get me at the area code is 410 and that's a 841-3603. All right. That's my Annapolis office. So just give me a call there. You can get me on Facebook or Instagram or the other. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, don't harass him too much, but yeah, that's (laughs) contact information. All right. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your information. Sure. All right, everyone. So that is it for today. And in the meantime, remember diversity is not a buzzword. It is a key driver of innovation and growth. So let's keep the conversation going by sharing our stories and building an equitable energy industry together. So until next time, stay curious, stay open-minded, and stay tuned for more DEI insights and conversations on the DEI Energy Podcast. And we will see you on the next episode. Come back next week for another episode of Oil and Gas DEI, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. <laughs>